My guess is perhaps each of us, as we study our Bibles from week to week and from time to time, come across some of those passages which seemingly resonate with us. That is, there's something there that we identify with that helps us uh, have greater confidence in God, a greater appreciation for what has been done for us. Many times when we come across a passage like the one we're going to study tonight, the one in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, we see a passage which provides for us a great amount of encouragement, but also reassurance, because that as we try to serve God, we want to know that the mistakes we make, in fact, the sins that we have committed, will be washed away, and that we can be able to enjoy a home with God in heaven. Let me begin talking to you for just a moment about the Apostle John. The Apostle John reflects what I think is, perhaps in many people, a dramatic change that takes place in life. That dramatic change that you see in the Apostle of John, you have to look at him when he was younger, when he worked with the Lord and he was among him. As the Lord was making his way to Jerusalem, he came through a Samaritan village. And in Luke 9 and verse 54, and it says, When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them like Elijah did. I can see the fire-breathing dragons of James and John. In fact, the Lord nicknamed them sons of thunder because of their quick temper, if you will, the fact that they were willing to come down upon people. But then as you fast forward to the writings of John, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, which John likely penned when he was a very old man, you see in him the apostle of love. In fact, 24 times in the book of 1st John, only five chapters, but 24 times the word love is found there. And it's one of the great emphases that John places. So you can see how sometimes there are things that the Lord says, things the Lord taught that we can really grab a hold of and learn and listen to. John knew what it meant to enjoy forgiveness and to appreciate what had been done for him. I love John, 1 John 3 and verse 1 where he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know him because it, it or does not know us because it did not know him. We are a blessed people to know that we have the love of God. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at three things from 1 John 1 with the thought in mind from verse 7. In fact, I really want you to keep your Bible open to 1 John. We're going to place great emphasis on three things to be found there. And the first one will be the focus on the Savior. When it says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light. We've got to focus the light on Him and see Him for who He is. Then we're going to talk about fellowship with the Son and with the Son's people. Because He says we have fellowship with one another. And then we're going to talk about the freedom from sin when it says... The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sins. 
So those three things we'll see from 1 John chapter 1. Let's look first of all at verses 1 and 2. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Now when you look at those, there are going to be some things that are going to pop out at you. The first thing is the, the he from verse 7, that it is Jesus, that it is him that he is speaking about. And you will see him emphasizing that which was from the beginning. When you talk about the beginning, you're talking about before man. You're talking about when God in his divine wisdom said, I will create man. Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You have the very beginning where God created the heavens and the earth. And John put it like this when he wrote his gospel account in John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about the divinity of Christ. When I read about him in the Bible, he is not just a man. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. But as you go further, John says, We have heard him, we have seen him, we have touched him, drawing attention to his humanity. Jesus wasn't an apparition. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't just an appearance to man. He was in the flesh to the point where these witnesses could say, we have no doubt about this because we went up and we touched him. Let me take you to a few passages of Scripture which I think are very important. When Peter recounts the interaction with Jesus, he puts it like this in 2 Peter 1 and verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. It'd be very easy for a person to say, well, we listened to somebody else tell us about something, and as if we didn't really have any proof. But you have men who said, we were eyewitnesses. Luke 24, verse 39. Jesus says, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Or when he spoke with Thomas in John 20, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and put it in my hands, and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. I have to see that when I study First John chapter 1, there's the divinity of Jesus emphasized, and then there's his humanity emphasized so that I see the full spectrum of who the Son really was. But John said, that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you. This is a message too good to keep quiet. You know, I thought this morning, as I was actually driving to the church building about the lesson this morning and the lesson tonight, 
about this very point, about when you have news too good to keep. What if there was someone who came up with a cure for cancer? You ponder that in your mind for just a moment. We have several individuals here in this congregation right now who are battling that dreaded disease. You imagine if now someone says, I have the cure. What do you want to do with that? Do you want to keep it to yourself and not tell? Or do you want to tell everybody, here's the cure for it? When you have Jesus, the Christ, and what he did, you can't keep quiet about that. In John 1, verses 40 and 41, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Christ, or the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. You know who we've been looking for? This this one that was coming? We found him. And Peter was led to the Lord by Andrew. Too important of a message to keep. And so John says, We're declaring that to you. And he says that, He is the eternal life that was manifested to us. There's so much that could be said about that. I think about how Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 and verse 6. I think about when Jesus was speaking with Mary and Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And John himself says in 1 John 5, 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. As I focus on the Son, I see His divinity. I see His humanity. And I see that He gave Himself For every one of us. But then John focuses on the Savior about his being in the light. When he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Oh, you can really spend a lot of time on that thought of Jesus and the light. I'm just going to just touch on it, if you will. In John 1, verses 4 through 9, right after emphasizing both his humanity or his divinity and his humanity, here's what John said. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and I will tell you that's John the Baptist. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus is the one that really is the source of the light. You think about the sun and you think about the moon. The sun is the source of of the light that lights our earth. However, sometimes we have the light of the moon, but it's only a reflection. Jesus is the source of the true light. And for that, we ought to realize the value of it. 
John 8, 12 and John 9, 5, very plainly Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have light of life. John 9, 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So if I walk in the light as he is in the light, I walk where Jesus walks. I put my footsteps in his footsteps. You know, we sing the song, Footprints of Jesus. We need to realize that's where the light is to be found. And then 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. When you're where the Lord is at, that's where there is pure light. As you get further and further away from him, the darkness begins to ensue. Now the second thing that you would notice from this passage is the fellowship with the Son. I want you to look with me at verses 3 and verse 6 in this context. John writes, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us. Fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. There is the fellowship between us, but he says more importantly, there's the fellowship with God the Father, with God the Son. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You see, there's a, a fellowship that one has with the Son as he walks in the light. Now, for just a moment, think with me about the word itself, fellowship. When we use our word fellowship, I can tell you what most people think of. I say, well, we're going to have some fellowship. Everybody's thinking about eating. But you know, that's not the meaning of the word in the Bible. The meaning of the word in the Bible means a joint participation, a partnership, a working together. Let me illustrate that to you. The verb form is found in Luke chapter 5 and verse 10. And there Luke records, So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Notice, they were partners. There's that word. Partnership, working together. They had a fishing business together. Or the book of Philemon, verse 17. Paul says, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. I want you, if you consider me in fellowship with you, as a partner with you, let's, let's work together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. Now here's a key one. This is one you highlight in yellow. You put a little red star in the margin of your Bible. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God has called us to be in fellowship with His Son. God wants us to be partners with Him. God wants us to walk side by side with our Savior. And then Philippians 1 and verse 5, one additional indication. Paul thanked the church there for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. They had worked with Paul 
sharing in the giving of money, sharing in prayers. They had been a participant with Paul and a partnership there. Such requires agreement. For me to walk with the Lord, for me to be able to be in fellowship with Him means that we have to agree. And in Amos 3, 3, as we've studied, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Now, if you will, that's foundational for our last point. The freedom from sin. I know that the person who gave me this as their favorite Bible passage must have had in mind the last part of that verse. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The great effectiveness that the blood of Jesus has, that it can take away all my sins. What a tremendous thought that is. Let me point you to a couple things that I think are really, really important in this. The first thing is, is the use of the present tense. And I don't think I need to give a Greek lesson or even an English lesson for that matter. But let me for just a moment point out to you that the language that is used can convey something different. In the, if you want to talk about something in the past, you use a past tense verb. For instance, the word walk. He walked with us. Past tense. If you want to talk about something in the future, use a future tense. He will walk with us. But in the original language, they had a, two forms that really could give you some indication. There was what was called the aorist tense, which means a one-time thing that you do. Like, for instance, do you know how many times you were baptized? One. It's a one-time action. But the present tense that is used in the Bible talks about things that just keep going on. It's ongoing. And we generally use the word ing on the end of a word. Walking to indicate present action. Not that you walked. Not that you will walk, but that you are walking. And you see a person in the progress. This is present tense. If we keep on walking in the light... The blood of Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing us from our sin. It's not as if when I am baptized, Jesus Christ forgives me of all my past sins and that now I have to worry, well, that's just the past. What about the present? Are my sins today forgiven by the blood of Christ? Well, let me point out to you something that I think has really been a a question in people's minds. In fact, I've been asked this question several times. Does walking in the light mean that I don't make any mistakes? For instance, if I'm doing something that is wrong and all of a sudden I'm killed in a car accident, or all of a sudden immediately I die of a heart attack, does that mean that I am lost eternally because I did something right at the split moment? I didn't have time to, to repent. I didn't have time to say, God, forgive me. You know, many people worry. Well, am I going to be lost if there's something that I didn't ask for? If walking in the light means sinless perfection, then how do you deal with the last part of that verse? 
If we're walking in the light as He is in the light, then His blood keeps on cleansing. What's it cleansing us of? If we're walking the light and we're sinlessly perfect, then what sins would His blood keep on cleansing us of? It's a really important question. The truth is, is that we have reassurance that if we are walking faithfully with the Lord, not perfectly, but faithfully, that the sins which we commit, the failures which we have, the grace of God covers those sins. Otherwise, folks, I would say most of us have said things that we wished we hadn't said. We have done things we maybe are not aware that we have done. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Remember Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. You know, there's a possibility that someone may come to me and say, Tony, you've sinned against me. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. You said something that was mean and cruel and hurtful. Well, I didn't intend that, but if I did, I'm sorry for it. Do you realize there are sins that we are unaware of? The Bible calls these sins of ignorance. They're sins of omission. And we have to realize that the blood of Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing us. And so it can't mean sinless perfection. But now John does point out we've got to deal with sins in our life. How do you deal with it? How do you face it? Well, let's look at verses 8 and 10. As he talks about how I must acknowledge and admit the sin that I have, both present and past. If we say we have no sin, I'm going to pause for just a moment. Have no sin. That's present. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, past tense, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. One of the most important things to do is for us to acknowledge the fact that we are a sinful people. That we do make mistakes. That we do have problems in our lives. And if I am unwilling to acknowledge that, the denial of it is deceptive to myself and is a disputation of the Savior. It's saying that God, what He said, is not true. And I'm just fooling myself. And sad is the fact that many people are deceiving themselves and many people are disputing what... God had to say. But what does this involve? You know, if I come to Jesus and I confess my sins, what does that mean? Well, I can go to the rest of the Bible and I can get some kind of answer to that. In the book of Numbers, chapter 5, verses 5 through 7, God gave directions. Here's what he said. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. When a man or a woman commits any sin that men commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess the sin that he's committed. 
he shall make restitution for the, his trespass in full plus one-fifth of it and give it to the one he has wronged. Now, I'm not going to emphasize we're not living under that plus one-fifth rule. That's Old Testament prescription. But let me point out to you that confession and repentance of sins requires me to make some sort of restitution. I've got to try to correct things insofar as I possibly can. And such was the teaching of the Old Testament. If we confess our sins, well, what does it mean to confess it? It means not only do I acknowledge it and say I made a mistake, but it requires me as much as I possibly can to fix it. And if I've stolen from someone, I've deprived him of what he has, and I need to provide in the one-fifth war to be added to it was to provide a restitution to that person. Psalm 32, verse 5, David said, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I recognize I've sinned against God. And I confess that to God. I acknowledge it. Proverbs 28 and verse 13 is perhaps the, the passage we need to emphasize. Solomon says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. What do most of us want to do? We want to hide it. We want to put it behind us. We, we want to act as if it never happened. You know what most people like to do with sin? They want to be real quiet until people forget about it. And think maybe five years, ten years down the road, everybody will forget about that sin. Other people try to do whatever they can to cover it up. David tried to do that. You remember he tried to get Uriah to have relations with his wife so he'd think that was his child. David tried to cover his sin. Solomon says that won't work. Well, what do you do? You confess it, and here's that conjunction, and forsake it. You don't keep on committing that sin. You don't keep on practicing that, and then you can have mercy. So we summarize. This passage would be of great comfort to those trying to walk in the light. I can understand why that's a favorite passage. It's become one of my favorite now the more I study it. I realize that there's blessings to be had there because as I walk in the light, I am faithful to the Lord. The sins that I commit and those of which I'm unaware, God's mercy is applied to those sins. But this passage is also a great reminder to address the sin in our lives. Not to just let it slide, not to try to cover it, but deal with it. And I think about the light. One of the main focuses within this passage, the light that comes from God will cause people to react differently. In John's gospel account, in John 3, beginning with verse 19, and this is condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth 
comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Oh, wow, you think about that. If your actions are such that they are praiseworthy, you don't have any problem with the light. You don't have any problem with walking with Jesus where he walks. But if what you're doing is wrong, let me ask you a question. What you did last night, would you have any problem with the Lord being there with you? Would you somehow be ashamed or embarrassed for the Lord to sit with you in your home or to go where you went or do what you did? If what you did was righteous, you'd be glad for the Lord to be there. If what you did was wrong, you'd be embarrassed. That's the difference. Tonight, if you need to become a Christian or as a child of God to return home, that's what this opportunity is for. Would you come while together we stand and sing?